You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. The IRS is the most feared agency in the world. You've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over $10,000. Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe. They'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-579-4967 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800-579-4967. I wrote a post last week which was a response to a pastor, a pastor who had lectured me for uh, not doing enough to welcome the LGBTQ community and others into the church. Um, it was clear, however, from, from what he said from his email that he was among the many Christians or so-called Christians who think that not only should we welcome these people into the church, but that we should welcome their sin as well. We should embrace and accept their wicked behavior because according to this pastor, their behavior, their sin is inseparable from their identity. They find their identity in their sin and we ought to accept that according to these, um, Christians. We should facilitate that even now I've already addressed that idea extensively uh, in a few different forums. Uh, what I'd like to do today is kind of pivot from that discussion to something related. I want to talk about this idea of uh, welcoming people into the church. Who, what group, what sorts of people do we need to really go out and uh, go out of our way to welcome, to include, let's say, in our churches? What group is perhaps not catered to enough, not acknowledged, not invited to participate openly and publicly in the body of Christ? Is it the secular, the worldly, the unrepentant sinners, the open homosexuals, etc.? Are they the ones who we might say the church is not doing enough to include? Because that's what we're told all the time. That these are the people that don't feel welcome, they need to feel welcomed. But see, I don't think that's the case. Aside from the fact that the church often includes these types in the wrong way confused uh you know confusing including them with including their sin aside from that the fact is i think uh, churches across the country have been very intent on watering down their approach their message so as to appeal to that crowd they've been doing that for decades so when i hear oh these people aren't included enough i think are you kidding have you not been, where have you been for the last 50 years? Um, I've been to many ch- church services where the entire thing, the entire thing from the songs to the sermon, even down to the way the church is constructed and adorned and decorated, all of that at many of the uh, services I've been to, all of that explicitly done, designed to appeal to people who aren't even interested in Christianity. And that's a problem in my mind. 
Yeah, we want to make people who aren't interested in Christianity interested in it. We want to we want to change that so that they're interested in it. But you won't do that by giving them something that isn't Christianity. If you want someone to develop a taste for uh, you know for uh, for steak, for instance, you can't give them Skittles and expect that to accomplish the task. A person gets a taste for steak by eating a steak, and a person gets a taste for the faith by experiencing it, not experiencing a watered down version of it but by experiencing it. If you want to give someone a taste for steak, are you going to give them the worst steak you can find? The, the most bland, overcooked steak you can find? Or, will you, or if you have the best steak available, will you give them that? But it seems a great many churches are focused on uh, giving the bland steak. And I mentioned um, the music being a culprit in this. Not just the music, but just as an example. So just as an example... Um, recently at, at church, they sang a hymn and here were some real lyrics from that hymn. Okay. You ready? Real lyrics, a burning fire. Be my one desire. I'm deeper and deeper in love with you. And then it just repeated that line like a thousand times, deeper and deeper and deeper in love with you, deeper and 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 deeper in love with you. It sounded like, and, and it was designed to sound like a pop song where someone just threw the word Jesus into it haphazardly. Now, is that supposed to appeal to those people who deeply, deeply crave a profound, sacred, meaningful worship experience? Or is it designed to appeal to those who, in fact, don't want a profound, meaningful, sacred worship experience? I would suggest the latter. Um, the latter are so often the beneficiaries in, in the modern Western church. Now, compare that for a moment to classic traditional hymns. The kinds of hymns that you don't hear as often anymore because you don't, because, you know, you, you, want, to, you, don't, you want to appeal to the, it's, it won't appeal to people. You want to appeal to people through secular contemporary ways. So these traditional church hymns have been thrown out. But just compare it for a moment. Um compared to the the, uh, the the hymn holy 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 through the dark though the darkness hide thee though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see only thou art holy there is none beside thee perfect in power and love and purity holy 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 lord god almighty all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea holy 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. See, there's a powerful, that's a powerful, that's powerful for people that crave something deep and sacred. Um, or one of my all-time favorite lyrics from, uh, from the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, written in the 1800s. And it goes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. I mean, come on. Come on. How are we singing crap that sounds like something from a One Direction demo tape when we have this available to us? Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. 
How are we not singing that? When we, why are we singing this crap? Why are we singing this crap? This utter bland crap. And I mean, and and I hesitate to use a word like that for something that's performed in church. But a lot, it's just crap. It's nothing. A lot of these songs they sing, it's nothing to it. It's nothing. It's offensive to me that it's being sung in church because it's so bland. It's offensive to me because it's so inoffensive, because it's just so bland and just nothing. It's just paper, just paper thin nothingness that they sing. When you've got these hymns that are so beautiful and painful and true. So here's what I would say um, on the topic of who should be welcomed and included in the church. I would say that in the, the song thing is just an example, but it's just become, I don't even know if I would call it a pet peeve because it's something deeper than that. But I would say that the real problem arises not when secular worldly folks feel a bit uncomfortable in church. They ought to feel a bit uncomfortable. They, they, they ought to be taken out of their comfort zone. If they're living a worldly life, church should take them out of that zone and thus make them a little uncomfortable. Not unwelcome, not hated, but uncomfortable, yes. So that's not the problem. The, the problem is when those who deeply desire Christ and who endeavor, maybe imperfectly and, and ineptly, in my case, to follow in his footsteps are made to feel unwelcome and excluded in their own churches. The real problem is when devout and faithful Christians are treated as pariahs by the church leaders who should be serving them. So you take this pastor who, who emailed me, called me a bigot. Uh, he, he, not just me, but he called devout conservative Christians backwards and accused us of, of bigotry. That's the problem. The real problem is when actual Christians, I mean, those, those, those people, when I say actual Christians, I mean, those people who affirm the infallibility of scripture, uh, who accept the moral dictates of the faith, who, who try to place God's will above their own. It might not be successful all the time, but they try to. The real problem is when those people walk into a church and find that everything is designed not to appeal to them or cater to them, but to cater to people who aren't really Christian at all. Now, nobody's perfect, so it's good that churches aren't focused only on ministering to the pure and the, and the blameless and the saints. You know, the saints are in heaven now, so they don't, they don't, uh, they, they, they are living, they're living church now. But Christians are called to strive for perfection. We're called to live as best we can with virtue and righteousness. We're called to make sacrifices. We're called to cut off our hands and our feet and gouge out our eyes if they're leading us to sin. We're called to pick up our crosses, carry it as Christ carried his cross. We're called to die to the world. These are the, the phrases that are used in scripture. To die, pick up the cross, cut off your hands, gouge out your eyes. And, and those who accept this challenge and who, who try to live, who try to live it out, they're the true Christians. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say superior. I didn't say any of that. But they're the, they are, they've listened to what Christ said and they, and they accept it and they're trying to live it. Okay, that's Christianity. Accept it, number one, try to live it. Not live it perfectly, but try. If you're not trying to live it, then you're not a, you're not a Christian. You're, you're, you're nothing. If you're not even trying to live it. You think you can be a Christian and not even try to live the faith? Where do you get that in scripture? Where do you get that? You don't have to, try, you don't have to live it. How many times does it, have, does it have to be said explicitly 
by Jesus that you got to live this out for us to realize that, oh yeah, we got to try to live it out too. So when you take, when you have these people, these Christians, and they stagger into the church each Sunday after spending another week out in this fallen, broken world, stumbling under the weight of their crosses, they're limping, they're half blinded because they've cut off their legs and they're gouged out an eye, they're bruised and they're bloodied. And they, and, they, and they make it into church. They should be welcomed and given shelter. They should be rejuvenated and restored. That's the job of a pastor. That's why the church is there. But what do they find? Especially in churches like um, these pastors. At best, they find secular, secular platitudes, shallow slogans, feel-good jargon, crappy, horrible music. All designed to ensure that uh, the unchristian and the anti-Christian and the pseudo-Christian aren't scared away. Even if that means depriving the faithful Christians of the profound, sacred, spiritually revitalizing experience they crave. But in many churches, in many communities, it's, it's uh, much worse than that. Faithful Christians um, or far-right Christians, as this uh, pastor called them, as, as they are often called. These faithful Christians uh, encounter outright suspicion, disgust, opposition. People like this pastor uh, accuse them of bigotry. People like this pastor write off their beliefs as backwards, out of touch. They're mocked, belittled for trying to live moral and chaste lives. I mean, they should expect to encounter this out in the world. We're already told that, but at church? From the very shepherds who, who are supposed to be tending to them? And so what does it accomplish in the end? The secularized, worldly Christianity stripped of sacredness, tradition, beauty, sacrifice, morality. It's too dull, uh, too lifeless, too bland, pointless to hold anyone's attention. It, does, it doesn't succeed is what I'm saying. It doesn't succeed in, in uh, bringing in. We've stripped all the Christianity out of Christianity in order to win people into Christianity. And uh, what do you know? It doesn't work. There's nothing, you know, why? It, it, the, the average, um, I'm not going to say the average, but a lot of churches, a lot of churches that you go to, I think if some secular non-Christian happened into the church, yeah, they wouldn't be offended. Uh, they wouldn't be uncomfortable, but... They're going to say to themselves, why do I, why do I need this? It's not anything different from what I already get out in the world. Why do I got to come here on a Sunday? What's the point? What is the faith giving me that's any different from what I'm already getting? I can just turn on Dr. Phil, go to a uh, Tony Robbins seminar. So what's the point of this? I just go to a, I can just go to a pop concert. And you know, the thing is, if I turn on Dr. Phil, go to a Tony Robbins concert, go to a pop concert, not only will I find exactly what I'm getting here, but it'll be, it'll be much higher quality because what I'm finding in this church is a, a really bad version. Not even, not even just that it's Dr. Phil, Tony Robbins, pop music, but it's a bad version. It's not even good. This pastor thinks he's a motivational speaker. He's not even a good one on top of it. So everyone loses. Nothing is gained. Nobody is gained. And the uh, poser Christians just kind of drift in and out while the actual Christians are disenfranchised. So, 
you know, we're told that we should change thousands of years of doctrine and teaching at the best of, 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 of arrogant, impenitent sinners who, who cannot be bothered to make any sacrifices or lifestyle adjustments for Christ. But what about the faithful who love those teachings, dedicated their lives to following them? Are they just out of luck? You know, we should notice something, that the, uh, the good shepherd in the parable left the 99 sheep to, find, to go and find the lost one, right? But notice something. He didn't disband the flock completely. He didn't abandon them forever and spend the rest of his days following this one confused sheep hither and yon. No, he went and retrieved the sheep and brought him back to the flock. So if you disavow the flock for the sake of the lost, then you ensure that the lost will remain lost forever because there's no more flock. So this pastor asked me what I'm doing to make open homosexuals, the LGBTQ community, quote unquote, feminist pro-abortion radicals and others feel welcomed in the church. But I would like to uh, throw that question back at him and, uh, and back at others like him and say, you know, you asked me what I'm doing. What are you doing for the young unmarried couple trying to stay chaste and build the foundation for a biblical marriage? What about them? What are you doing for them? What are you doing for the pro-lifer who, who stands every day at the gates of, of hell and fights courageously against the hideous evil of abortion? What are you doing for them? What are you doing for the Christian man who strives to remain virtuous in this pornographic culture of ours? What are you doing for the Christian woman who struggles to maintain her modesty in a society that objectifies her? What are you doing for the Christian father who wants to be the sort of husband and leader that St. Paul challenged him to be? What are you doing for the Christian mother who gives herself to her family and tries with all of her might to to run a Christ-centered home? What are you doing for Christians who experience same-sex attraction or any other temptation but don't want to give in to it? In other words, what are you doing for Christians? What are you doing for those who strive for righteousness? What are you doing for those who who place their hope in Jesus? What are you doing for the real minority in this country and the minority of those who reject the ways of the world and seek a better, more holy, more challenging, more painful, more joyful way of life? What are you doing for them? How are you leading them? That would be my question to pastors and to churches. How are you encouraging them? How are you fortifying their spiritual resolve, comforting them in their fears and their doubts? What are you doing to enrich and edify them? What are you doing for them? Nothing at all in many cases. They're insulted as backwards, out of date. Scorn is heaped on them. They're abandoned. They're shamed. But you know, these people are important. All the people I just listed. The church needs them. And do you know why? Because these people are the church. So when they're called bigoted, what you're saying is that the church itself, the body of Christ, is bigoted. And if you say it about the body of Christ, then you say it about Christ. Now, as for the worldly, the secular, the unrepentant, the pseudo-Christian, the the unchristian, the anti-Christian, the sometimes Christian, the casual Christian, the non-Christian, the kind of Christian, the sort of Christian, all those, the worldly Christian, I agree that we shouldn't abandon them. You know, we have to give them something. We have to provide them with something for sure. But do you know what we should be giving them? What should we be giving them? Yeah, we don't want to abandon them, but what do we give them? The church. We give them the church. That's what they need. It's what we all need. But but nobody can have it if we tear it down just to make the world happy. That's the problem. 
And when you tear down these people, all those people I just listed, the ones striving for righteousness, the ones who place their hope in Jesus, you, you, you're tearing down the church. They are the church and they are a minority. Now they are the minority. They are the minority that the church should concern itself with because it is the church. That's my point. All right. That's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys uh, next time. Akruche Silus. Godspeed.